following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! It's a tough job, Steve. I can tell you when you go home, most of the time it's really just you. And so you know how many people always talk about, I want to be a CEO, I want to be a CEO. And I always tell them, you sure? Because when you get there, the, the advice I give people is just make sure you're ready. Because when you get there, there's no time out. You can't call and say, wait a second, I didn't learn that yet. And there's no time for training wheels or learning on the job. I mean, 40% of CEOs uh, don't make it 18 months. The average CEO lasts four years. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Oracle CEO Mark Hurd. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. What is happening in Oracle and the world of tech right now? Give me a quick brief overview because it's changing so fast. Yeah, a lot of change. I mean, uh, on the growth side, consumer IT is growing 20% plus. And you see that every day in devices and applications and services. Business to business IT, uh, not growing that fast. Frankly, flattish, 1% growth, and going through this massive sort of generational change to the cloud. And how is all this change happening, but there's no growth? What? Give, give me some specifics here. Well, actually, the, because there's no growth, there that's actually driving the change. So the fact that you've got most IT systems the actual infrastructure, the applications, really old. Some of the applications themselves, 20 years old. So think about that. Applications built 20 years ago, trying to deal with the problems today. Those applications were built pre-mobile, uh, pre-social, uh, pre-sort of everything. And now you're dealing with a very different customer and employee environment than when those applications were built. They have to get changed, but these IT budgets aren't growing to do all of the necessary uh, transformation. So that's why the cloud is more than technology. It's about strategy, business model, and and really a change of the entire uh, approach. And taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Rocket Mortgage, and Veridesk. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. And what are you focusing on now? I mean, when you first started at Oracle, the cloud was not at the forefront it is today. Take me through really quick the, what was like hot and what you're working on when you first joined and how that's changed, and you know, it hasn't been that long, but it feels like, technology-wise, it's been 100 years. Yeah. I mean, the technology industry has gone through a lot of changes if you look over the last 25, 30 years. I mean, there was one big company back 25 years ago that sort of was the technology leader in everything. The Silicon Valley has really taken over every aspect of that technology leadership, and in some cases, not one company. Who, who was that back then, you see? So a company guy, I'm trying to remember the name, I think it was called IBM. <laughs> and and they led in sort of every, whether it was microprocessors or operating systems, databases, didn't matter. They were really the technology leaders, so technically. Then if you looked over the past, you know, starting as you move into the 90s, each layer of that ecosystem changed leadership or changed leaders. And instead of becoming vertically integrated from one company, it wound up becoming more of a Lego set. Mm-hmm. So IT evolved, 
where customers sort of procured this Lego from somebody, this other Lego from somebody else, and then cobbled them all together. So the environments you see today in companies are really very heterogeneous, very disparate, very difficult to manage, frankly, difficult to secure, yeah. uh, and, and old. So is are people moving away from the Lego set? Are people going to go, they want to have everything by these by Oracle, for example, or one of your competitors, or is it still all kind of quilt work? You know, you have a little of this from, you know, Oracle, a little of this from Salesforce, a little of this from Amazon. How does all that work? I think it's a, a, a bit of both, Steve, but I think there's clearly a, a pendulum swinging back to more vertically optimized uh, stacks, i.e. the cloud, for a couple of reasons. One, it costs less. Mm-hmm. Seems like a pretty good reason. Um, second, it's simply easier. It's simpler. You sort of take the investment away from your IT staff and, and, and sort of the systems integrators that help you, and you push that back into the R&D budgets of the industry. And that's what the cloud, that's what the cloud does. So it costs less. It's actually more secure, and you get a ton more innovation uh, at the same time. So it, it's really one of those trifectas that's what's driving this, this huge generational change. I'm going to talk about managing this change, but I want to talk about you as a leader and as CEO. Um, I mean, it's fascinating that you know Oracle has 141,000 employees now. Yeah. Um, it has two 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 co CEOs, you and Sefrakatz. How do you like? What is your day like when you're managing? First of all, 140,000 person company that's also going through giant changes and doing a huge amount of R and D. Like, I don't even know where you could start. Okay, so we, <laughs> so I will tell you that no matter what the scale, we still really do just a few fundamental things. Uh, we build technology, and so that's at the core of what we do. We have a lot of engineers. Mm-hmm. We have just shy of fifty thousand people, really trying to build things, innovate, um, build solutions. So we have over five thousand people alone to do nothing but build human capital management and ERP systems. That's one example. So what's ERP? Uh, that's enterprise resource planning is what it stands for, but it's really your core financials, manufacturing, procurement, all of those systems that sort of keep the record straight and mm-hmm. really control your back-end processes. Um, so, you know, we build stuff, and then, frankly, we build stuff and we sell stuff. So if you look at, <laughs> if you look at the building part and the selling part, it's 85,000, 90,000 of our people. And then we also support stuff. So if customers ever have an issue, you know, they can they can call us and we help them. So and then we also implement our stuff. So the core company is build it, sell it, support it, mm-hmm. implement it. And then we have people that help and support all those people along the way in the various functions uh, of the company. So even though it's a lot of people at scale and it's spread out across a lot of countries, the actual functions we perform are, are really very fundamental. What is your, on a normal day, what do you tend to focus on of those four functions or maybe all of them? Well, I mean, to some degree, you're spread out across all those. And unfortunately, if you're in a CEO job, you have other constituencies you have to talk to. I'm here talking to you uh, for the purpose of hoping to build awareness uh, for the company. So there is some, you know, external accountability as well, investors, uh, et cetera. But I try to spend as much time as I can in front of our people and in front of our customers. And you came into Oracle um, from HP. Uh, what was it like coming in fresh, from as a as, as, coming from one company to another, which is all new to you? How? Did, what was that like? What was this, how did you get caught up to speed? Because they're different businesses, right? Yeah. Is yeah. it is it rinse and repeat, or is it you have to kind of spend like months really learning the business and learning the products, or 
is it very was it an easier transition for you? Well, I think in all companies are different. And so trying to generalize about these companies, I think, is, is wrong. They have different cultures. They have different fabrics. They have different histories. They have different strengths. And they have different opportunities. I think uh, Oracle, the wrong thing for me to do uh, as a leader is to try to say, what I want to do is what Oracle should do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Oracle's got fantastic strengths. One difference with Oracle is that the prior two companies I was CEO of, frankly, were in deep issues or had issues when I became CEO that needed to be what you might call as a, a turnaround. Yeah. That wasn't the case at Oracle. Mm-hmm. It's actually harder in some respects taking a company that's winning and telling a winning company, we're going to go change. We're going to go try and do things differently because a lot of people say, well, gee, this feels pretty good the way it is. Yeah, that's all like dis- like the innovator's paradox kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's right? actually the hardest leadership job you'll get. When, when people are losing and somebody comes in and says, I have a different way to go, everybody says, great. Because we know this isn't working, so we'll we'll follow you. When you move into an environment where you're winning, it's tougher to get people lined up. And that's our job to get everybody aligned. So what CEOs really focus on are three core things. Get the strategy right. In this case, this was our transformation to the cloud and lead this chain. Mm-hmm. Second, to get with 141,000 people, as you described, make yes. sure the way we run the place is efficient, that we can actually execute the strategy. And the third for us is to make sure our people are lined up, that we have the best people. They're, they're trained, they're, they're equipped, they have the tools, all the necessary things uh, to go win. And tell me about that change because you, you said it's like you're, uh, you, you, you help lead a champion. You, you come in to coach a championship team and you're going to change the whole playbook. And this case was moving from – and please correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you guys do many things, but the idea was you, know, you created big you know, servers and software, like physical objects would put them into a, a, an office or a company and then, you know, run it off that, you made the whole switch to the cloud, like the whole industry. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it, it is um, a bet, so to speak, right? But hopefully a measured uh, bet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you look, we had some pretty good insight. Larry, Larry Ellison started the first real company that ever really was in the cloud before it was ever called cloud. Mm-hmm. And it was a company called NetSuite that we eventually wound up uh, buying. But in all fairness, we were making a bet. And I think what, what's proven out over time is um, it's worked. It's worked. <laughs> but, you know, listen, it was a high-risk It was a high risk bet. And I can tell you that many of our competitors um, didn't make the bet. And I know why. Because, frankly, what happened to us, Steve, was we took a pretty successful operating model. When I got to the company, our, our stock was 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, stock went to the mid-30s. Everybody was happy and, you know, all of that. And then we decided to invest in more salespeople, more R&D, all these data centers. And, frankly, our earnings and our cash flow stalled for two or three years while we were going through all this. And it's only in the last year and a half we've had this uh, further rise. And so that's the reason why more people don't do it because mm-hmm. a lot of folks don't survive this investment you have to make to make this kind of transition. How do you sur- not survive, but how do you weather the storm when you stall, your, your stock stalls for a couple years and you have analysts and investors and I'm sure all types of activists pounding the table saying that, you know, Oracle's lost its touch or what are they doing? They're just, you know, how, how do you weather that? Well, you know, I think uh, the good news for us is there's really three of us. There's Larry, there's Saffer, there's myself, and mm-hmm. we've been doing this a while. Yeah. So we had a pretty clear view of what it would take to get through the other side. And I think we were patient would be the wrong word. Um, but I think we knew what we were getting into before we got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now we always wished it would go faster, but we knew we were getting into, it, and I think we were we were we were convicted around uh, the outcome. And these big when a, when a company like Oracle makes a giant shift, I'm always fascinated in how that decision like comes up, and then how you actually pull the trigger. Is it? I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking very like c- cinematic. Like there's a boardroom, and half are saying we can't do this, other half are you know saying yes. Like how does it come about, and how does it go from hey we should do this to like okay we're going to take our you know, our 140,000 people and just change the direction of this ocean liner. You know, what's, what's interesting, Steve, is we had, when we started to go into it, we had less than 140,000 people. Mm-hmm. So we actually, as we were going into the transition, to make it worse, we added more people. <laughs> so we added more engineers. We added more salespeople. So we actually made the problem harder going into the transition because we knew it would take more more capability, more people to be able to execute what we've done. Mm -hmm. So that made the problem more difficult, and we were spending more capital than we'd ever spent before. So how those decisions get made, they're not quite as dramatic as what you described, and they come over lots of discussion, lots of discussion, lots of vetting, Mm -hmm. uh, different options, um, lots of – because the key thing about strategy is – when you get into it, there are a lot of attractive strategies, but you got to get one that's worth working on, one that's worth winning. Second, you got to be really clear: can you do it? Mm-hmm. Can you do it with the with the internal capabilities and skills of the people in the company? And so, you have to be a realist about both those things. Uh, we knew this was worth winning, um, and the key question was: could we do it? Yeah. And I think that's what's so exciting about some of the results you see coming out of Oracle is, you know, we're being it, we're on that track to prove we can. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes interview podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th with Rocket Mortgage, Mortgage, you get a transparent online process. It gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. You guys are enterprise software, B2B, so I feel like everyone listening knows Oracle, they know the company, but a lot of people, including me, aren't familiar with the actual products. Could you take me through, I mean, Oracle before this transition and Oracle afterwards, and like, you know, some concrete examples, because it's, it's, it's fascinating, but I want to kind of be able to you know, grasp it more. Okay. So think about us before as building software products, applications uh, like HR applications or sales or marketing applications. Um, and then we would put them on a DVD, and we would then send them to the customer. The customer could then implement those, mm-hmm. may have a partner to help implement those. So it was very much a products-offered sort of relationship. We could do the same thing with products like our database or our middleware products. Now, when you move to the cloud, that changes because there is no more of this handing a product to anybody. Yeah. You just really deliver them capability over the network. 
So now they just get the application over the network, which means we're now doing all the data centers. We're doing all the hardware. We're doing all of the plumbing. It's more like a utility. Hmm. You flip a switch, here comes software. And how you do it is less important when you're doing it for the customer than when they're doing it themselves. And so now we really, when we take something to the cloud, and what's changed, Steve, is that now everybody can be our customer. If you went back five or six years ago and you didn't have a data center, you didn't have IT staff, really hard to do all this. Yeah. We would never have had a Lyft as a customer. I could go on. We never have Stitch Fix. All of these companies that are really great new companies, but when they started, they didn't have a big IT staff, big data centers to go do all this. That market opens up to us now because of the cloud. So mm-hmm. we not only had to change from being a product company, we became a service company and delivering real software, real-time services. And then we also opened up a whole new mid-market of customers we never had before. Hmm. And you mentioned you're building, and I think you just announced you're building a huge, doing a huge push into service, correct? Yes. Tell me a little about that. Well, I mean, when you said, I, mean, I want to make sure you uh, said service, I'm sorry, data, data centers, I'm sorry. Yeah, data centers. Yes. So th- this really uh, is really about just extending our global reach. We have customers in countries all across the world. Mm. And so our ability now to put capabilities in those locales that allow us to serve up capabilities local to them. There is a bit of an issue um, around a thing called data sovereignty, Mm -hmm. which will be that data many times countries won't let data travel outside the country. So in many cases, local data centers make make a lot of sense. You have to go to them, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it isn't true across every application in every industry, but enough so that Having local capabilities is clearly a distinct advantage. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating that other companies you're kind of going up against in this in this sandbox. There's Amazon, there's Microsoft. Who else am I missing here? Well, what's well, a very interesting point you're making because of the fact that you stopped um, tells you a little bit about the change in our industry. Yeah. Just with the statement you made, if you had talked historically about all the on-premise companies that were that were you'd you'd, be, you'd still be talking. Yeah. And so there's fewer players as we go forward for the very reason you described. You have to put all this capability, which creates a lot of need for capital to build out all of these data centers. Yeah. And not many people can do it. Yeah, it's a lot. And you have to have the intellectual property and all the other capabilities. So the number of competitors going forward <clears throat> will be fewer, not more. Uh, who do we go up against? Each of these companies is a little different. Mm-hmm. So uh, the one you talked to, a couple that you talked about, Amazon, for example, they really build out sort of infrastructure as a service, Mm -hmm. not so much in the application space or even the IP space, whereas we're very strong in applications, very Mm -hmm. strong in things like database, uh, middleware, et cetera. A company like Microsoft, of course, has a tremendous applications business, uh, but it's a different set of applications than what we'd have. They'd have, obviously, office and Mm -hmm. collaboration tools, et cetera. So while these companies compete uh, in the middle – some of the things they do on, 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 on as part of their core business are actually quite a bit different. How do you? It's interesting because you mentioned these. You know, all these companies are super well capitalized. They have super talented people. Um, when you kind of go out there in the business world, are you do you watch everybody? Do you kind of just keep your head down and you focus on your own goals, or are you always watching over your looking over your shoulder what those people are doing, what those people are doing? And is it is it a real fierce battle or are you guys cordial when you run into you know folks in the in the bay and that kind of thing first of all i think the answer to almost all your questions until you got to the last yeah. one are, are, <laughs> is yes so it's it's all of that 
so are, you're, you're 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 always looking what other people are doing. First of all, Obviously, I think you're yeah. right. Are we focused and heads down? Yeah. Yes. Occasionally, do we put our heads up and look around? Of course. Yeah. Are we concerned with what other people are doing? Sure. Um, so, but for us, as I told you, there's a, a real innovation race, and and the ability to get to be the first one with a suite of applications. We don't have to talk about all this yeah. now, but not just to have one application, but a series of applications that work together. Huge technical goal to yeah. execute that technical strategy, which we have. Second, to be able to then bring our whole database estate and be able to optimize it. We have this cool thing, Steve, called the autonomous database. Without getting into all the technology of Mm -hmm. it, it basically costs our customer less. It self-secures itself. What's called patching, it self-patches itself. Mm -hmm. So it actually costs less, is more secure, and it performs better. Believe it or not, when a customer can now put an SLA as a service level agreement with us, where they would never be down more than 30 minutes in an entire year, which is just incredible in our mm-hmm. industry. So, yeah, we got to have our heads down and execute a few of these core things, as I've described. But, of course, you're always keeping your eye on your competition. Mm-hmm. And your, your question about does everybody like each other a whole lot? Not really. <laughs> and how does that affect the business? Well, I think it's always helpful in some ways. I mean, it's not personal, right, but it's business. And, and you know, I think it's always helpful to have um, – a goal. It's always mm-hmm. helpful to have a competitor. I mean, are our, our, our football teams better when there's another football team vying yep. to win the Super Bowl? You bet. Do the do the uh, Cavaliers make the Warriors better? I mean, you can you can go on and on with those examples. So you know, be, the, it, there, unless there's a, a big fight, there's really not a champ. And so the fact that there's um, uh, a focus, an enemy, um, yeah, mm-hmm. love it. How does it, it – it's unusual – Oracle's a little unusual that you have a, you have a co-CEO in Sefracats, and then you also have Larry Ellison, who's obviously a larger-than-life, at least public-wise, um, you know, founder, longtime CEO. He, he's really – but he's about six foot. Yeah. He's, oh, okay. Uh, he's, yeah. He's not, I thought yeah. he was like eight feet tall. No. No. Um, but, like, how does that relationship work? So you have, a, you know, the founder who's exec, – he's executive chairman, who's obviously – it's his. this is his baby, so he's very involved. And then you have you and Safra. How do the three of you kind of all – work together to divide stuff up how you in close contact all the time i assume all the time yeah, yeah we talk all the time so um uh, the three of us would talk virtually every day maybe you know t- even today i talked to, to both of mm-hmm. them even though i'm here uh with you and i'm not in redwood shores so yeah we talk a lot and i i gotta tell you steve when you're in these jobs um they're lonely jobs um it's usually you know having done this before it's it's you yeah, and if you can get the right chemistry and the right right group of people to where you can actually get help and get quality help and support and people you can talk to and all of that, it's a fantastic model. It's good to see. It's a CEO support group. That's, it that's is. It. <laughs> you know, it's a very. It's well said. It's it's because it's a tough. It's a tough job, Steve. I can tell you when you go home, most of the time it's really just you. And so, you know how many people always talk about, I want to be a CEO, I want to be a CEO. And I always tell them, you sure? <laughs> because when you get there, the, the advice I give people is just make sure you're ready. Because when you get there, there's no time out. You can't call and say, wait a second, I didn't learn that yet. And there's no time for training wheels or learning on the job. I mean, 40% of CEOs uh, don't make it 18 months. The average CEO lasts four years. And we'll be right back after this quick break. 
This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at Veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over 1 million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! What was your first, like, oh, my gosh, I'm CEO moment in terms of, like, wow, this is a lot harder than I, than I ever thought or a lot more lonely than I thought? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I became CEO of NCR, which goes way back mm-hmm. uh, a while, and um, I really was beginning to understand all the different elements of the business. And I, I had run a division, yeah. so I knew a lot about mm-hmm. the division and so forth, but I finally got my arms around what I thought were all the numbers and drivers of the company. And I I remember being about 5 or 6 o'clock at night saying, I'm not sure um, I'm going to get this turned. <laughs> because I finally understood. We had at the time had a pension program uh-huh. that wasn't fully funded. I mean, I could go on and on. Lots of different issues that we had to get through. And I remember coming home uh, and telling my wife, um, this is a lot of work. And I remember her telling me this is worth working on yeah. because we both started our careers there. <laughs> and so uh, – and by, by the way, when you come home, by the way, there's nobody to really talk to because everybody around the organization is wondering what you're about to do, how yeah. you're about to reorganize, who your team's going to be. So it's it's one of those things, again, back to your original question about the model, when you can get the kind of support group, as you worded it, uh, that we have together, it's, it's a tremendous asset. You mentioned when you do get home, like – do you ever turn Oracle off, or are you always thinking about this all the time? Well, it's not easy to do it yeah. because, you know, when you get home, my work is, is really never done. It's not like anybody ever calls me up mm-hmm. and says, you know, it's been a good day. All's done. Yeah. It's not, but, oh, it's, it's quitting time. There's no, there's, yeah. there's, there's no Flintstone whistle blowing. Don't come yeah. in today. Yeah. It's all – it's amazing. Yeah. It's just everything's <laughs> perfect. Uh, so there's always something dynamically going on, and the place is operating 24 by 7 around the world. And so it's 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 hard to turn off if your objective mm-hmm. is to have a work life balance. Uh, I wouldn't take one of these jobs. What do you do to kind of cope? What's like your normal day if you have it? Have one. Well, the really the fun thing about it is there really isn't a normal day. 
um, there's always something coming at you. I mean, in some ways, you can go drive the job. Mm-hmm. In another way, the job's also driving you. So you've got both going on, and there's a difference between offense and defense. Yeah. Part of the day I'm playing defense, part of the day I'm playing offense. I'd like to play offense more than play defense. And so the fact is that dynamism keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. And because I'm talking to different customers every day, different investors every day, we have a very global business, um, there's never a dull moment. Do you like wake up, look at your calendar, and that just shows you where, like, if someone's remote control, it just tells you where to go, basically? Well, there is a calendar, but it's yep. not like it's it's static. So I get up, I get up relatively early. Yeah, you're like early a you're like a, you're like a four in the morning guy. But about, about four thirty probably okay. is when I get up. And and the good thing about getting up at four thirty is nobody's really bothering me from mm-hmm. like four thirty to five thirty or so. I get to catch up on all the news. I get to get through my whatever email has come in since I've 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 gone to bed. And I have a pretty good idea when I went to bed what's going to be going on tomorrow. Yeah. But there's always something that interrupts, no matter how well planned your schedule is. When you go to bed? Oh, it depends. I mean, 10, 30, 11. So, I mean, I try to get about five and a half, six hours uh, sleep. If I can get that, I'm okay. Yeah, that's good. And you're, how do you kind of um, get out of the, how do you get Oracle out of your head for a little bit? You're, you're a big tennis guy, right? Yeah, I still play that sport. Yeah. Uh, I, I, play, I don't play it as well as I used to, uh, but it's still a... It's still a fun thing to go do. And, you know, it's different from the sport of golf, not taking any shot at golf. Yeah. But it doesn't take me five hours uh, to go play. I can do it in a much shorter time frame, hour and a half, get really worked out. And it, it does relieve uh, a lot of stress. While we're talking about this, the, you know, kind of this life of a CEO role, it's interesting because, you know, you're in an extremely technical, advanced company and market, but you yourself are not a technologist. How do you, like, when you, when when you joined Oracle, how did you kind of get up to speed in that business, and how do you kind of run, you know, help run this company that's so into this cutting edge technology as not being a not being a technologist? First, I'd say that most technology companies, particularly the successful ones, typically rotate between two competencies: um, engineering and sales. And for the very reason I started with earlier, that's the bulk of what we do. Mm -hmm. We only do a few core things. And so generally what happens in these companies is there's either a very strong number two of the other uh, discipline that's not the Mm -hmm. CEO or, uh, in addition, they shift. So the next time you go through, if you have an engineer and then you have a sales leader and then it continues to rotate. So Mm -hmm. no matter who the CEO is, the the need is to have – um, whatever the other discipline is to be just as strong in the company. It does not help a company to be too singular an engineering company mm-hmm. without an ability to go to market or to be too singular a go-to-market company without a strong engineering organization. To truly win uh, in this industry, you have to be great uh, at both. And so you've obviously you focus more on the, on the sales, more on the relationship side of the business. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my, in the technology industry, save being an engineer – I really had the good fortune to have done lots of different jobs mm-hmm. from, you know, sales to marketing to industries to different geographies. And so I think if you're going to become a CEO of these companies, the more of these jobs you can do, uh, <laughs> the better you get prepared uh, for, for running one of these companies. You guys made a giant deal with, with NetSuite a few years ago. What is that like when you integrate a whole new company and a whole new culture into into Oracle? You know, I, I think we're we think we're good at this at, at M and A. We've done a lot yeah. of it, but everybody believes we have a a standard playbook 
and we do everything the same. And that's right to a degree, but not not totally. Um, we we really do all of the back end processes the same, mm-hmm. no matter who it is we buy. But depending on who it is and what they do, we leave varying degrees of culture, uh, autonomy uh, in place. So with NetSuite, we've we've probably we really value their technology. I think mm-hmm. I made a statement when we bought them that we expect both products, NetSuite and Oracle, to go on forever. Mm-hmm. So we really value the market they serve, their existing customer base, the products they have together. And so really what we've done is accelerated mm-hmm. their existing capabilities. We've accelerated their R&D, accelerated the go-to-market, and, and really haven't um, fully integrated them into Oracle uh, per se, because of the fact we want them to be very aggressive out in the marketplace. So you're kind of just keeping like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of synergies, but at the same time, they're still in their own space, their own kind of culture, and just keep on doing what you're doing, attitude? It's not quite that, yeah. that, <laughs> that, 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 that autonomous. Oh, it's not as simple? Come on. Not quite as, but so obviously we're going inter- to redo some of their platforms, some of the technology that we can give them leverage. Uh, they get to use some of our facilities where mm-hmm. they can get leverage, et cetera. But, but there's there's more autonomy than the typical acquisition mm-hmm. that we would do, and we improvise a bit again depending on what it and who it is we bought, their capability, their leadership, mm-hmm. uh, their market position, etc. Well, we have a few more minutes left. One thing I just want to ask before you go is, you know, you're in the you're in the heart of Silicon Valley. What in, there's so much change. What is happening just in the in in either the tech world or your world right now that. Not many people are talking about, but they should. What's well? I mean, I think you're on all the right points. You're going to hear uh, everybody in the Silicon Valley looks for the magic word every 18 months. It's yeah. going to change everything. You know, nobody here uh, at this uh, conference that we're at here that I hear today big data. You know, 18 months ago, I would have been hearing yeah. big data. You know, etc. AI or deep learning, AI, AI, AI deep AI. learning, yeah. machine to machine, all of this stuff. I, I, I think in the end. What what you have is the next big thing today, particularly talked about, is is AI. Yeah, I I don't think you're going to see an independent uh, AI solution. I think you're going to see AI integrated into all the things we talked about uh, a few minutes ago. You know, AI. If I go to our head of HR and I say, Hey, how would you like to buy some AI? The, the first <laughs> is I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. But if I talk about a recruiting application that fundamentally is driven by AI or the optimization of a supply chain that is driven by AI. Now, all of a sudden, that becomes a very interesting use case that we can bring to market. So I think you'll see AI integrated into most uh, everything uh, that comes to market, and I think it'll be very exciting. What's going to be the next buzzword in 18 months from now? You know, it's a good question. I, I I give up on that. I really don't like... Uh, the way we do that. I, I don't think it's very helpful uh, to customers. I think most customers um, hear this and say, okay, I understand that's what the cool thing is. Yep. I got to have one of those. Uh, and in the end, they spend a lot of money that maybe they they shouldn't. I think the state, the way I would say the technology business is today is we have a lot of blocking and tackling to do. We have very old infrastructure very old applications, Mm -hmm. very hard to secure, very hard to manage. We've got a huge job over the next several years taking that environment and doing what we've described in terms of moving it uh, to this simpler, cost-less world called the cloud. That's what we're going to work on. That was great. Thanks for joining us. 
Everybody, Mark Hurd, CEO of Oracle. Thanks, Steve. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. I used to host the Art of Charm podcast, but now it's time for something new. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Did you know you can be entertained and actually get a boost in your life at the same time? On this show, we dig into the superpowers of the world's most interesting thinkers and top talents. Then we deliver them to you right into your ears. But I get it. We're not all superheroes. That's why we give you their blueprint so you can live what you listen. After a thousand interviews, learning five languages, and getting arrested in a country that doesn't even exist anymore, I'm now more ready than ever to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen free to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Everybody loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration, and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stocking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is... Tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.